The views and opinions of this program are not necessarily that of the Archdiocese of Baltimore. Sister Claire Hunter was born and raised in Meriden, Connecticut. She's a member of the Franciscan Sisters of the Eucharist and serves on the theology faculty at Rice Memorial Catholic High School in Burlington, Vermont. Previously, she served as director of the Respect Life Office for the Diocese of Arlington and served as the director of campus ministry at the University of St. Thomas in Houston. Sister Claire has a bachelor's degree in corporate communications and media and holds master's degrees in theology and educational administration. So let's pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we pray in deep gratitude for the gift of your creation, the gift of our lives, the gift of our bodies. We pray that we continue to grow in our desire to, to be holy, to be closer to you. We pray that we can unite our sufferings and our joys with your Son, Jesus. And we beg for the gifts of the Holy Spirit to allow us to know how best to serve you. And today on this feast of Our Lady of Fatima and this feast of our Blessed Mother on Saturday, we, we beg for our Blessed Mother to, to protect us, to um, cover us in her mantle. And we pray and ask that um, she, in complement with St. Joseph, terror of demons, protect us in our lives, protect our families, and protect our loved ones. And since we are at this parish of St. Michael, we pray, St. Michael, the archangel, defend us in battle. May our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the heavenly host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. Father, the Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Now, Edward, do you want to see what happens What if you want to do a mic? Uh, you want to check batteries? Okay. There you go. Okay. So I um, have the privilege of talking to you about, um, well, if you will, the church's approach to the sacrament of marriage, to um, what we call um, the theology of the body, John Paul II, um, certainly one that brought it together in, um, in more of a formalized form of what really was held as the teachings of our faith in terms of the gift of marriage and family. And not just our own Catholic faith, but the Judeo-Christian um, rootedness of, of how we understand the gift of um, being male, female, marriage and family, and our bodies. Um, what I think, though, is something that I would argue is I'm not sure we needed the church or um, to, to basically articulate what I think we deeply want anyway. Like I, 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 when I teach high school, there's a part of me that you know, wants to say to the kids, um, yes, this is what is held by the, the church and the Catholic faith, and some of them, you know, they're high schoolers, and um, we're in Vermont, which is a very secular state. Actually, it's the most secular state in the nation, um, according to the Pew Report, Pew Research. I'm sorry? Thank you, Bernie. Yeah, right. Actually, this is uh, just a side yeah. thing, but, um, I didn't realize, I, I don't know what I was looking up, but um, Pew, Pew Research puts the five top five secular states are the New England states, actually. It's Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Connecticut, and Vermont. Now, in Vermont, by the way, when I say I'm from Connecticut and, it's, and I'm from New England, they're all like, that's New England? I'm like, yes, Connecticut is New England, but they, didn't, they don't know that. They think just they are. So like in Texas, they think they're United States. <laughs> and everything outside of the United States, is, outside of Texas is Canada. Um, Okay, so 
I do think that something um, I wish we could talk more about is I, that a lot of what we, we would hold as part of the, the gifts of marriage, the gifts of the human person, are, are actually kind of logical. I think if we sat down right now and went through, what do you really want from your life? What do you want from each other? What do you want for a family? What do you want? Um, I have a feeling we'd come up with the majority of the things that we are going to talk about today um, that we maybe could have come out without maybe Jesus telling us or a pope telling us or a priest telling us or a professor telling us. Um, you know, we talk about, we're going to talk about, the, you know, the, the four sort of keys, the idea of, being, of, of marriage being free. Well, I, I, I kind of think we'd want to marry somebody that um, wants to be married to us, that you're not forcing to be married. I mean, I don't know, I know for a long time in history that seemed to work, and maybe once in a while you wonder if that might not be a bad idea. But, no, but really, I mean, I think you would be like, I'd really like them to love me without, you know, me having to pay them or you know, make their favorite meal, and I'd like that, you know, that, you know the, the vice versa. So I think we, we could probably come up with that. And I think we could probably come up with, it'd be wonderful that there'd be a sense of you know, fully given to me, and, and I'm fully given to them, of really wanting to give my life. I don't, I don't think we'd need you know, the, uh, a theology degree to come up with that, um, to be faithful, that, there, you know, no one, that you wouldn't be lied to, that you wouldn't be cheated on, that you wouldn't be used, that you wouldn't be robbed. I mean, all these things I think we could probably agree have, no offense, but nothing to do with God. And, and, and then to be fruitful, whether that be through children or just that you mean something in the world, that as a couple you're doing things, that you're, you're fruitful with your friends, that you have friends, that you're providing for your neighborhood, for your family, for the, 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 the state, for the, the nation. I think we could come up with these things in a logical, um, in a logical way. So I think when we look at the gift of, of our faith, sort of giving us a structure for how to approach marriage, um, Sometimes I think we can kind of be like, does the church allow? Sort of like this overlording, like bad, you know, this dad, the pope, who's forcing us to do things, or the nun who, with the ruler who's making us believe these things. We use tasers now. Um, but, you know, I think we kind of do this. The kids are always like, does, you know, are we allowed? Does the church make you? You know, it's it, like, like, you know, yes, the sisters force this habit on me. They make, do they make you wear that? You know, you get these questions, but we, do, we all have that mentality. We all sort of have like, well, the church, this, this little overlording um, entity that, that a lot of time wants to ruin our lives, you know, or make us, you know, oppress us. But I, I think if we, we look at today, I'd like to share a little bit about where, where the, the faith is coming from and really protecting us in something that actually we want and that we want so badly, we, it drives us crazy that we mess it up so much and that it's not perfect. I just, I know we're recording this, which makes me not be able to give examples for my family. My family is usually like, but I'm hoping none of them, is this something gonna be online? I think my family doesn't have computers. So, no, they do, but my mom, the other night was calling, she was upset because um, one brother, basically, you know, one of my brothers, she had to babysit for the kids, and one was saying she wasn't allowed to do this if the other kids came over, and blah. And she's like, why can't we just get along? Why can't, like, it's not supposed to be like this. Families are supposed to all help each other. I'm like, name one family you know that that happens. Seriously, I'm like, cut that. Like, we spend, all of us, spend all our day going, why can't we be, like, everybody else perfect? And I'm... And, I, and not to put marriage, you know, just challenge you, but I, I think we spend a lot of time 
just going over why saying it's not supposed to be like this, which is fascinating, fascinating. Which year, what generation should we have lived where marriages were pretty perfect, where kids were obedient, um, no one was lied to, no one died, no one fought, no one abused each other. Can you, no, I'm serious, like name a year. What do you got? Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. <laughs> okay, but what year was that? It was them, but yeah, but even they, like all their friends were totally a mess, okay, including Jesus's 12 buddies. Actually, I made a comment the other day to the kid something about um, Peter. I mean, he was one of the worst apostles, you know, and, and, and the kid goes, I kind of think Judas was worse. I'm like, all right, all right, good point. I forgot about him. All right, yeah, you got it. T 20 points, you got that one. Um, right, but I actually, I had somebody once raise their hand be like, oh, the 1940s were, I'm like, during World War II? Okay, all right, I don't know where it would have gone that year, but um, Jane Austen time, you know, some woman's always like, I probably, the, you know, the Jane Austen era. But, we, but isn't that fascinating that we spend most of our day saying this isn't fair, this isn't right, it's supposed to be a different way, comparing ourselves to something that has never been. And that's actually kind of the beginning, if you look at where John Paul II is even going to start from. Um, he talks about the echo in our hearts, that deep down, we actually know there was another plan. And, and that's sort of proof, because we're not happy with what we have now, even on our happiest days. So that we have to say, something went wrong. There must have been something, and something happened, and now we have to live with it, but we still somehow remember the big, that there was an original plan. And that's really what the theology of the body is about, is kind of reminding us of what was the original intent. And by the way, John Paul II is brilliant, Saint John, as brilliant as he is, and as brilliant as the church fathers have been, and as brilliant as the saints have been, um, they actually plagiarized. Because who's the one that basically reminds us of in the beginning it was not so? Does anyone remember where that's um, from in scripture? Who says Jesus? Well, I just said it. Who says Jesus says? All right, so who said it? Jesus. Okay, good answer. Jesus says in Matthew, um, they're talking about marriage. Does, um, now, this is always a joke I have. It's probably not a really funny joke. But I know that many of us in here are Catholics, so we don't read the Bible and we don't know anything in the Bible. So I'm either hoping there's a convert or someone who's not Catholic who knows the Bible to help us out because we're going to talk about some scripture today. And I want to do a plug for the Bible. Um, growing up Catholic and 12 years of Catholic school with a really great Catholic family, we didn't read the Bible. And it was um, embarrassing as a nun. I'll just be honest. It, I wish I could say I had this deep inner longing to start to know more about Christ and read scripture. It really was, I was taking classes at John Paul II, and I didn't know where to find things in the Bible. And so I was kind of getting panicked. So I basically started to be like, this looks bad. I'm a nun. I should probably like beef up on the Bible. And so I, I, I've been working on it. Um, and um, it's wonderful. It's, I, I highly recommend it. Um, actually, and probably some of you have had this experience where you're reading the Bible, you're like, we believe this? Like, I don't even want to tell, like, quote it because it's just either I don't like it or it's just bizarre. Like, when you read, especially the Old Testament stuff, you're just like, I can't, like, I'm, in, I'm not going to read this to the kids. I'm not even going to tell them this is in here because it's just so messed up. Um, but certainly scripture. So um, in Matthew, 
Matthew 19, um, Jesus is challenged by, who always challenges, the, uh, challenges Jesus? The Pharisees, okay. He's challenged by the Pharisees, and they basically want to trick him, which is usual. But why do they want to trick him? So they can arrest him. That's right, because they don't like him. My, by the way, just a reminder, why is he on earth? To save who, though? It is, okay, yeah, okay. That's all of us. All right. Uh, but he, he particularly, and just a reminder, he's, he's there actually to save, if you will, quite frankly, the Jews. I mean, he's going to save all of us, but... Um, his mission is to come and save the Jews, which are, if you will, led by the Pharisees. So you would think that you know, they would be on his side, and they're, they're not, as we know. Um, and I always kind of stick up for the Pharisees because I always think, I agree with them. Like when he says, be meek, I'm not interested. And I'm always like, yeah, I don't like that one either. So, um, or other things, be poor, says the poor nun. Um, okay. So the Pharisees basically are going to challenge him on divorce, okay? It is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answers, have you not heard that he who made them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one. So they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined together, let no man put asunder. Okay, and then, they, and then it was a trick because... They know that very well. They are brilliant. They have studied scripture. They can quote that scripture, and he knows that. But here's the issue, that Moses allowed for divorce. Okay? So they're basically, by Jesus saying, Jesus saying that you can't get divorced, um, he would be going against Moses, which would be worthy of getting arrested. Okay? They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And he said to them, for your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for unchastity and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. The disciple, and then I like this, I mean, I don't like it, but um, I think it's great because the Pharisees challenge him, but when you notice oftentimes who comes back harder at Jesus, it's the disciples or it's Peter, which is I, I'll be a little honest. I just think this is so funny. Because like, you, you, know, you, you sort of picture like, a, not really, but like a gang fight. You know, Jesus with his disciples behind him, Pharisees in front, and they're like pointing, and they're doing their thing, and the, the disciples, Jesus is answering, and Jesus is like, and the disciples are like, yeah, what he said, we're with him. And, and, and I love it when the, you know, the, the, this is over, and it's almost always the, the disciples like, excuse us, hold on. Wait, we disagree with everything you just said to them. Can you, you know, and, and you just used to be like, you, you're already on my side. We've already, like, you've been with me for three years. You gave it all up. You're, you're with me. Like, get back there and stop art, you know, but I, he doesn't. That would be funny if movie, part of the movie, though, if they did a new movie. Okay, so the disciples basically challenge and say um, it's impossible. It's impossible not to be able to get divorced, which um, I, I, <laughs> Again, I always think is a little more humorous because I mean, again, imagine imagine Jesus standing there giving this teaching, and they're like, "We can't get divorced." Jesus is like, "No." Remember, in the beginning, it's not so. They're like, "Fine, fine. Then we won't get even get married. Then, <laughs> fine. We're not doing it." Again, this is now you know why I enjoy reading the Bible, that I because I just make up my own story that goes with it. That's my that's my way of Alexio Divina. I just find the humor, the funny parts, what I think is amusing by what Jesus just said. Okay. So there's more to that passage, but I want to stop for a minute. 
So Jesus points us to the beginning. In the beginning, it was not so. So let's go back to that beginning story for a minute. Um, and we're going to go back there. Then we're going to um, talk a little bit about the present day. And then we're going to go back again. And then we're going to go back to the present day. So just we're going to be on a bit of a going back in time. So just to make sure we're all clear of the beginning story okay, of Adam and Eve. That's the beginning story we're going to Genesis. Um, John Paul II does a very beautiful job at helping us, it's, you know, he really brings in um, not just the scripture in terms of what, um, excuse me, I just want to get my notes, not just the scripture in terms of, um, you know, sort of what happened, you know, let's go over the story, because we know we're not to take it literally, okay, it's not like on, on, you know, the, on Monday, God woke up and made the, the stars in the heavens. Then Tuesday, he's like, all right, what's next? And then Wednesday, and, you know, gets, gets to the sixth day. And then, you know, he's like, all right, I guess, I'm, I guess we might as well just do, you know, with a board now. And that. So it's not meant to be literal, okay? It's meant to really for us to, to explain the phenomenon, which all religions and all civilizations have tried to do, of how did this all get here? How did we get here? How did this happen? What, what? Why do we do certain things? Why don't we do certain things? What, what is it that brings us to ponder this? Why are we pondering it and not our dogs? Like, there's all of these things that these civilizations, why are things so, why are men and women so drawn together and capable of doing this amazing thing of bringing forth new life, and yet why do we make each other miserable? And why do we hurt each other so much? So all of these things, um, John Paul II, you know, so, I mean, all civilizations have been, been bringing together. And so John Paul II does a beautiful job of sort of bringing us to look at this story, not in terms of the literalness, but in terms of really how does this answer for us a lot of our deepest questions, a lot of our, of our own psychology, of our own spirituality, of, of our own physiology. Like, why do, our, why do our bodies, why do our minds even do these things? What is, you know, is, is it all accidental or is there a purpose to it all? So... John Paul II then invites us through his theology of the body to look at the experiences of what must have been, must have been an original way of creation because we want it so badly or we've experienced it. There's something so deep that resonates in all human beings' experience that there is something that we, we know to be true actually and he's giving us a language and, and sort of a lens to look at that through scripture, okay, through the understanding of scripture. So in the beginning, God creates all the creation, okay, and the, it's God creator is that's doing this. And then he creates a human being. He creates a, a, a human person. And what does he give that human person? He gives that human person, if you will, two jobs. Name the animals, okay. And have dominion, okay, which mean, meant what, by the way? Take care. What is, and, and I'm not trying to be like, what does, but what is, like, give us some, like, what do you mean to take care of the, the land? What does that, like, kind of literally mean? Stewardship. Stewardship, okay. Farming. Farming. What else? Making roads, making that's right, infrastructure, <laughs> zoning. Yeah, he's, he's supposed to start this very zoning and the, the, you know, the sewer systems and things. Okay, no, but really, but I, I just want us to be, think about this for one second, though. It's interesting because this command is given to, to Adam, 
to, to, the, to the man, to the male. He's given um, dominion, okay? He's given um, the work. Isn't that interesting? Work is not a result of the fall. Work was part of the gift, was part of his creation. Work and relationship with the land and the animals. Okay, so actually, that's, that's just something interesting to think about in terms of, you know, there, there's something innate in, in the, the person of, that's a good of, of, of wanting to give our bodies, give, our, give ourselves, especially in terms of men, to creation, to land and animals. And I'm going to sort of shorten that. I'm going to use something, um, you know, so it's um, to... to um, to till and keep, to steward, stewardship. There's lots of words that's, that, that are used. I'm going to steal a little bit from John Paul II's um, little document on St. Joseph, and I'm going to use to provide and protect. That Adam is given, if you will, um, we're going to call his masculine genius, his, the gift of his maleness, to provide and protect. Okay? And then we have Adam gets to name the animals, did a good job, right? Dog, cat, hippopotamus, um, got creative, pterodactyl, things like that. Um, okay, so he names the animals. And what, what then happens that, for the first time, God says what? Yes. It is not, it is not good. It is not good for man to be alone. And it's, it's very interesting because John Paul II refers to this and calls this experience um, of the first man, of the original man, okay, original person, Adam. He calls this Adam's or our experience of original solitude, of being alone. And that, how does Adam know, by the way, that he's alone? I mean, he's not technically. I mean, what more can he want? He's got a dog, he's got a horse, he's got a pig. I mean, what more can he want? Someone like him. Someone like him. Why, why, how does he know they're not like him? That's right. So what can't they do? Think. Think, okay, because why? why? Why can't they think like, what? Well, he's in charge of them, but what, what don't they have? And into like so okay I'm sorry you got your your eyes are awesome you're like way up here, way up here okay what do, what do, what does a dog I mean a dog has a brain but what's what's different okay okay communication? communication so we're talking about and also I mean he basically he looks and he sees their bodies are different than his body he realizes that there is, there's many levels of difference but th that there's but it's it's the body and it's the intellect that are go it's reason that is going to make him realize, if you will, I, there's not, there is none like me. There is something missing, okay? And more than that, it also makes him realize that he, which is very fascinating, he desires someone to communicate with. He desires a body to relate to. So it's not just he's like, wait, I'm bored. I, you know, like it's really more like something like the animals all there's something where they all have something in common and come together. But I desire that. And John Paul II says, when God says it is not good that man should be alone, he affirmed that alone man does not completely realize his essence. So there's something essential to the fact that there is not an other. He realizes it only by he realizes it only by um, existing with someone, and even more deeply and completely by existing for someone. So there's this innate desire. So we we all know that experience of solitude, original solitude, and it's it's a good experience actually. It's not like it's, it's, I mean it's 
in a way you could say, well, well, that's not good for man to be alone. Maybe so God did something wrong. Actually, what we could say more is, isn't this a beautiful experience? It was only through solitude that man is awakened that he deeply desires other, not only desires, is made for other, is made not just to have a companion, but to be able to give himself to another. That there is, a, in, in the sense of that deep longing within each of us for that. So, this is the fun part. The kids always get hung up on the rib. But anyway, okay. So, basically, we know, I mean, I, you know, I, we don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's possible God puts Adam to sleep, rips out his rib, throws some mud on it, and I mean, we, we, you, know, isn't, you know, but clearly that's not the impact. That's not what we're looking for. It's not meant to be a literal story. It is analogy, okay, it is, or it, not an analogy, but it's, it, it's, um, it's giving us an imagery that we can use to explain how this, com how, how this comes about in terms of our own creation. So the rib, why the rib? Why the rib bone? Okay, what side, what is side, um, close to the heart? It's at the same level. Okay, so it's not from the head, it's not from the foot, she's not below him, she's not above him. Um, so it's, we're going to take something from equality. Now, I always think this is very fascinating because this comes from our, our Judeo background. And when you think about the, you know, the stories, the, 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 um, the understanding of this creation being passed down, what I think is very fascinating is that it's coming from a people that are struggling, though, with the, the image of equality in terms of marriage. You know, when you think about the fact that, you know, how did marriages come about? In the Old Testament, how did you get married? Like, how would you, how'd you get your wife? Arranged. Arranged, usually. Or, you know, once in a while you had one that felt, that saw the beautiful woman. He was going to die if he didn't have her. Um, it's, was it Isaac? Wait. Samson. Samson. Well, David, that's another story. But, um, <laughs> right, right, right. That's Actually, that's the whole Old Testament. Very good point. Yeah. Okay. But basically, and, and usually there's, a, there's, the, there's the, the um, dowry, right? Then there's, the, if you will, she's sort of bought. You know, and it's sort of an arranged situation. So when you think about their belief in marriage and their belief in Adam and Eve being equal, I think it's fascinating that they look at it that way because it's they. And what, what I think again that tells us is they know the reality of how things are being lived, and that there really should have been another way. There really should have been a, a, that. There's a desire for inequality, and so. Um, God creates Eve, and I think this is very, this is one thing. I listened to a talk once um, by a woman, and she said something that I had never pondered before, and I wish we could, um, there were, someday somebody smart will write about it, but about the experience of Eve being created and being, while Adam is asleep, and being alone with God, um, and her experience of being alone with God in the garden before Adam wakes up, and what that must have been as a woman what that says to us about the, um, the, the, our own spirituality, about our own sense of um, relationship with God. And one thing that I think we've talked about, it gets talked about before, but the other thing that I think is, is very key in terms of the difference between men and women is that when woman is, when Eve is created, she actually gets to see a human person first. She's the first to see Adam, okay? He's not seen her yet, if you will. And the idea, and I think that really this explains, this is a way to explain why for woman, everything is about relationship. Everything is about other persons. 
Okay, and, and, and this, is not, this is not something to say negative about men, but for women, everything is in the context of other human beings. And no offense, gentlemen, and this is really a gift you have, but when you're working on a machine, you're working on the machine. You're not pondering how this machine and your wife, and then, you know, this reminds you, that lever reminds you of your little child and how cute it is and what you're going to say when you go home and what your mom might be doing later and your dad and they're going to come over. And when you go shopping, you should probably remember to pick up those dinner rolls that everybody loves. And, like, you're thinking about the machine and the wires that go into the machine. When you're fishing, you're thinking about fishing. When you're watching sports, you're, thinking, you're not worrying about the relationship that those players might have to their spouses and to their children and who their best friends are, okay? And that's a good thing. That's a compliment relationship. But the reality is Adam was created and he was, his responsibility was to, have to, is to protect and provide and to have dominion and to relate and to work to the land. Eve is created and her first experience is seeing another human being. And so, and then you wonder about, I don't know, this is just sort of, again, my own Lexi doing about like, I wonder what she and God talked about and how safe she felt and how much trust there must have been. Her first experience of being with another human being is complete trust and vulnerability. She sees this sleeping person and she probably falls in love immediately and is excited and, and, and just, and, and loves him. And, and God, you know, who knows what they were talking about. She knows safety. She knows protection. She knows um, what it's like to be in a, a perfect relationship with God and, and, and then sees this human being. And then he wakes up. And I love this. This is very, very beautiful. When then it says, um, well, all right, do I have it? Okay, well, okay, it says, I, I go into the scripture, but I'll just do this quickly. Um, so then it says, God brings the woman to the man. Now, interesting, the verb bring, and I don't have it written down, I'm really sorry, but in the original um, Hebrew, I don't know, do you think he knows, that perfect bathroom time, thanks a lot, John. Yeah, sure, he's probably like checking a game score on the college. Okay, okay. Um, when Adam is brought, actually, Edward, do you remember the bring, when, when, at, when God brings Eve to Adam, the word bring, that is the same word that's used when he brings the Israelites out of Egypt? Well, no, no, but it's, oh, John, do you remember the, sorry, <laughs> just to put you on the spot, I'm, I'm talking about when God brings Eve to Adam, and that the verb bring is the same that's used when God brings the Israelites out of Egypt, do you remember the Greek? It's okay if we don't know it. Put your it on that limb. Okay, don't worry about it. It's, I was going to say just to sound smarter. That was the only thing I was looking for. Yeah, and it's okay if we don't know. But it, it, all that matters, all that really, really matters is this is so cool. Because, you know, the, 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 everything in the Old Testament, everything, but the wording is specific. And you know that different words mean different things. So like love, there's different words for love in, in, the, in the Greek, in the, in the Hebrew. Same with God. There's different words for God according to what he does. So the word matters. The verb matters. What were the Israelites doing in Egypt? They were slaves. So when God brings them out of Egypt, he's bringing them out of slavery into freedom, into freedom, okay? Same verb used. When God brings Eve to Adam, he's taking them out of 
if you will, selfness, self-focus, self-slavery, if you, I mean, in a way, and we could kind of, you know, maybe I'm stretching it, into pure freedom. Into freedom, which is what? What's their freedom now? Freedom to love and to be in union with each other. That it's this union that frees them to be the essence of themselves, to be the fullness of themselves. It is good now. It is good. They are come together. And so they're freed when they come together in this unity. Now, and what's, why are they freed? Because they can now live their vocation as gift, as gift to each other. Eve is given to Adam by God, and what's his response? What does he say? At, but, and I love this, bone of my bone, but I love this for at last, at last, bone of my bone, at last, this is, this is me, this is where I can, I can at last be myself. Bone of my bone, we are of the same, and I can give myself to her. Well, first he receives her. She's she given as gift, woman, which I think, again, is as women, our deepest, deepest spiritual longing to be known as gift just for existing. We don't have to do, we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to look a certain way. We don't have to cook something. We don't have to fold something the right way. We are loved for existing. And we are given as gift, which, which is beautiful that then we, we know what it means that life is gift, which makes even more sense that we are given the gift of bringing life into the world. How beautiful, I mean, it all goes together. So Eve is given as gift, Adam receives her, exclaiming at last, and then he gives himself to her. And, th th and that is what John Paul II refers to is original unity. Okay, that's the, the original experience of original unity. And we, what he would say is we remember this. Deep within all human beings, it is our longing. It is why we spend so much time saying it's, something's wrong, it's not fair, something's not right, because deep inside we long for this. And they know this, by the way, that they are called to each other. I mean, it's possible God said, okay, now let me explain how this works. But I, have a, I mean, that's the, the point is that just by seeing each other, they know that their bodies are capable of coming together. That they're, and, and, that they're, and then John Paul II talks about then the, real, the, the language of the body as, as really speaking, our, our bodies speak the capacity to come together, to, make a, to, to come together in union. Um, and, and, and not to get you know, too much into body parts, but I think we do understand, um, you know, when you think about the difference between a male and a female body, we really have all the same parts except when we get to the sexual organs, right? We both have hearts, we have lungs, we have spleens, we have whatever else we get in there. So when you think about the reality of our sexual organs, it, it's fascinating when you think about the fact that, you know, they exist in order for the purpose of coming, of, of bringing forth new life. I mean, we don't, I mean, I, you know, when you think about it, otherwise I, we wouldn't, you know, need a uterus. We wouldn't need ovaries. That you know, we wouldn't need sperm. All those things are really are there um, because of, of our, our gift and our capacity to bring forth new life. Which again is one way we're going to be imaging is, is a way of imaging God, um, giving us sort of a clue of why our sexual organs, why our sexuality must have something sacred to it because it can do something that only God can do, which is bringing forth new human life. Okay, um, 
Nothing like wearing a watch when you can't see what it says. Okay. All right, I'm going long. I'm going to skip to sin. Okay, this is our five favorite part. Actually, at the top of my page, I wrote down the word evil, and that's all I had up there. And I thought I should probably write some notes next to it, so in case anyone saw this, they wouldn't think that the talk was evil. Okay, we have this perfect, perfect situation um, of, of the creation. And then they, but Eve is given, if you will, when she, they, when she is created, he, um, she is then given what we would call her the feminine genius, which is what? What are, they, what are Adam and Eve given as Adam has two jobs in the beginning. Now she exists and they are told to be fruitful, be fruitful and multiply. Okay, be fruitful and multiply, which is only capable when both exist. And so Adam's jobs now also are going to be part of their responsibility, as is fertility um, for both of them. Okay, And to be fruitful and multiply, I have to say, yes, absolutely. That means children, okay, if possible. And, and, you know, but the other reality is I think we can look at the words fruitful and realize it doesn't, it, it means to, to prosper, to, to, to grow, to, to increase and multiply. You know, it, it's going to be to create civilization, okay, all the roads, ro the, the roadways, okay? Okay, now, what happens? We have this perfect experience. They're in the garden. They are given one rule. They are not to eat of the tree of good and evil. Now, again, we don't get caught up. It wasn't like there was this tree. I mean, it's, it's, it's basically that they are, they are asked not to enter into, to choose evil, okay? That, they're, that they are to choose to live with God and to um, have this perfect union. And, as long as they, and they have free will, so they have a choice to eat of the fruit or not of the fruit of the tree of good and evil. What happens? Why? How they eat the fruit? What happened? Let's break that down. Deceived. They were deceived by who? Satan. Who is Satan? Serpent. serpent. Who is the serpent? Lucifer. Lucifer. Who was Lucifer? Fallen angel. Okay. Very good. People don't know. We don't think about this enough. Okay. All right. God creates angels. They're different species. They have no bodies. They are spirit. We can do it. You can have another conference on angelology someday. We're not doing it now. Um, Lucifer is. The word means bearer of light. He's a seraph. He is the top-ranking angel of the choirs, the nine choirs of angels. He is revealed, God reveals to him his, all of his, his, his beauty and his plan. Lucifer says, no, basically no. I'm not, I, I, I'm not, I don't want part of it. Um, I, in fact, I think I could do better. Everything we would pretty much say. Right? You know what, God? This plan, you, this isn't working. No, I don't want to do it. I have a better idea what my life should be. Um, you're wrong. I disagree with you. I don't like you right now. I want things in my power. I want things in my control. I want to reign. I was, did you ever see that Lord of the Rings when the, the queen elf, you know, she like has the chance for the, when anyone basically is tempted and they become like the all or powerful. I'm always like, I'm like, that's how I feel inside sometimes. I'm like, oh, I want to reign as the queen of my world. So, um, all right, Lucifer then is cast into hell, the, the state of where there is no God. It is his choice. And he is to roam, he roams the world seeking the ruin of souls, okay, as we know. Uh, with his, with the demons. That how many demons are with him? Legions. Legions. Very good. I know. Sometimes people start to guess. You know, they're like, and they start to say numbers, and then they're like, a third. I'm like, a third of what? And they're like, uh, uh, you know. So we don't, we don't fully know, but legions, uh, we countless. Okay. Lucifer 
brilliant. Satan is brilliant. Our, the demons, they study us. They go right to the heart of the issue. They go to the woman. Okay, why, why the woman first? Because the woman turns the man. <laughs> On some, on, yeah, on some levels, and, and in a way she might do that. Why, though? I mean, we could sort of joke about that, but in some ways, why might, why might that be a great influence? Why she might be able to do that? Guide him. I'm sorry? To guide him. To guide him, but, what, and, but why would he follow her? God said so. <laughs> no, he didn't say to obey the, obey the woman. <laughs> because he loves her, and, and they're one. They're in union. They're supposed to be, the, I mean, you would think it would, but, but that's, and that's one, I mean, we don't fully, I mean, like, by the way, we don't fully, fully know, it's not like, you know, but it, I think that's interesting to ponder, but here's another thing of why Satan goes there first. On one level, if his job, if, if in his job, but if he hates God, he hates the reality of God in, in, in images of God, of which they are, um, on one level, the woman is the more dangerous. Why? She's bringing forth life. That's right. And so when you think about, and I, I just want to say, you know, especially in our culture today, it's very interesting, isn't it? Our greatest gift, the capacity to receive and bear and bring forth new human life, is considered a disease by our, our world, right? We, we, take, we actually take pills to stop our bodies from doing something it's actually supposed to do. And we're convinced it's out of love we do that, that we have power when we do that. Um, we have the power to choose whether we want to have that child or not. Like, like when you think about, and, and, and I mean that very, say, I say that very sensitively, knowing that some people believe that is a loving choice or that is a good, you know, and, but it's fascinating that that's where Satan goes, that, and, he's, and he's smooth, right? I don't know about you, but my sins always seem like a fantastic idea at the time. And I really personally like them, okay? So it's not like, oh, that's going to hurt. I'm not, I should do that because it's going to ruin my life. No, it's, oh, See? See, it's like a sign from God right there. Okay, no, it's the opposite. It's like, this is a great idea, and it's going to feel really good when I do it, and I'm going to get out of, you know, whatever I need to do. So I think we, we know that Satan goes in, and is smooth in his idea. Um, a plug for the book by C.S. Lewis, Paralandria. If you ever want to read, uh, to me, I'm sorry, that the... Read the Bible, read the Bible, read the Bible. But if you ever want to read, I think one of the most amazing accounts of our ways of understanding the fall and the, and, and the, and the power of Satan and um, the person. Uh, definitely the first book is um, Out of a Silent Planet. I, you can read the trilogy. All right, it's called a space trilogy, but don't let that turn you off. Because I refuse to read it too when someone said space. I'm like, I don't even like Star Trek. Um, but it's not. It's, it's, just, it's just a way of frame of, but it's... it's Honestly, I think it is really, that trilogy is probably, was the thing that affected me most in my understanding. And also C.S. Lewis's The Great Divorce. Those would be um, books that must reads. Um, uh, you could throw, oh, in the Bible, and anything by the people in the church, and popes, and <laughs> saints. <laughs> I know, really. I know, really. And I'll probably say another book, too. But that's, um, those books really um, gave me such a very different understanding. And again, I mean, it's not, they're not church dogma, but in terms of just uh, C.S. Lewis really divinely inspired, divinely inspired. Okay, so the serpent comes, goes to Eve first. She is dangerous. She is the, the, the mother of life. He knows that God is going to come in the form of a man through a woman. He knows all of these things. Where is Adam when Eve is speaking 
to the to the to Satan. Right next to her. Yeah, actually, I know everyone's always like sleeping, watching football. Um, it's right there in Scripture, and the man was with his wife Eve in the garden. It's right there. What's Adam's jobs? Right. This is his garden. When, I mean, you think about when God gives him the job to provide and protect yourself, like, from what? Like, he's, it's him alone with the animals. Like, how hard is that, right? There's nothing. So, but really, we have this amazing, just amazing revelation of Satan knowing the, man, the heart of a man, right? His greatest desire to be able to provide and protect, to be able to be the one, to be respected and trusted, and he fails. Man's greatest fear. Male, he, he, men in this room, he, he, Adam failed. He, he, he blew it. He, he let down God and his wife, and he allowed evil to come into the garden. And so when you look at that, and what's the first thing Adam says when God questions, um, why did you eat of the fruit? He blames. You, you, and really, isn't it? <laughs> but it's interesting when you think about that. Like, again, like that might have been one moment Adam could have said, okay, wait my fault. I, I, I got it. And so we have this devastating moment of Eve, who was the, his greatest at last, his gift. And now she knows this blame. Um, he, he's turned on her. Um, I, I think as woman, we, that means he doesn't love, like we would take that as we're not loved, we're not accepted. Um, he's failed. He feels like, like you, know, he, you know, there's nothing he can even he can't even stick up for himself. I mean, at this point now, he's, he's no sense of self anymore. And this, this evil has entered in. And, and I think when we, um, you know, again, we could say, well, that's a nice story, but I, I'll be really personal here. I think we all have this. I mean, we live this every day. And, you know, and again, that's sort of a dramatic scene there we had with Adam and Eve. But this reality of every day, each one of us desiring to be loved, Desiring to be respected, desiring to be true, desiring to, to, be, um, to have peace in our hearts, to, to be able to do something that, um, that brings a joy into our lives and the lives of others. And every day we make some decision or we have some mood or we have something that happens that just flips it. And, and it causes tremendous suffering in our families, tremendous suffering in our marriages and in our relationships. And, and then... You know, what, what Adam, we do what Adam did too. You know, he doesn't just say Eve made me do it. He doesn't just blame Eve, by the way. Who does he blame? God. By the, the woman you forced me to take and that you gave me, right? And, and I, again, right here, right? We, that's my go-to. I mean, I am married to him, so it works out. But my go-to is God of saying, why did you let me do that? Why did you let them do that? Why did you let this happen? Why do you want to ruin my life? Right, and we just get into this mindset, and and again, I, I'm kind of bringing it to a very personal level of what's a very deep theological mystery, of the fact that there are evil spirits who want to destroy us and destroy our relationship with God and with each other. And so, you know, we can kind of say, okay, well, that's a terrible thing to happen. There's no hope. And some days, I think we do. I think we say. Why bother? There's no hope. There's nothing that can happen. Um, this is never going to work. There's no way out. It's just complete darkness. And yet, at the same time, we believed we belong to this very rich tradition of faith that says 
Oh, no, it's the opposite. In fact, this whole book is nothing but a love story of the fall and God desiring deeply to repair that through, by the way, his covenant, his spousal, his love, his spousal love with us. So when you look at this thing, this whole book uses marriage language. Everything you have to go through for your marriage prep and through, or through your marriage classes or through, you know, when you, when you, as a, as a couple, the whole thing is right here in terms of it, the book begins with covenant and ends with the wedding feast of the lamb in Revelation. You know, another thing, by the way, in, in Revelation, I, I think we don't look at this enough, but remember, once the fall happens, God then gives the punishment, remember? And so then now the work that was a gift is going to become toil, and really creation's going to become man's enemy. I mean, it's his greatest gift, and it's his greatest curse, okay? And then for woman, her greatest gift, bringing forth new life, will now happen through, through the, the pangs of childbirth, okay? And then what's he say to Satan? You will crawl and there will be enmity between you and the woman and her offspring. That's right. That's right. That's why the blessed, the, those beautiful statues of the Blessed Mother where she's stepping on this, the head of um, serpent is, um, is her stepping, is Eve crushing the head of Satan by birthing Christ. But one thing, I'm sorry, I had to use the microphone. Okay. Something I think we don't think about, we don't, actually, I don't know about you, but I don't look at Revelation too much, Book of Revelation, because it's just too weird. Okay. Um, and I don't understand it, and I'm just not smart enough. But I do look at it enough, and it's not too weird. It's just, it's all symbolic. Okay. So, like, I'm going to read something about eagles with wings. No, people with wings. Um, eagles do have wings. So that's, see how weird it is? There's eagles with wings in there. It's bizarre. Okay. Um, this is something interesting. So in Revelation, we often get this at the, on the uh, Feast of the Assumption, the reading of the woman and the dragon, and then the battle between St. Michael, the archangel, and Lucifer. And this is just one part. So I read chapter 12 of Revelation if you want, but I'm just going to read this one part. When the dragon, okay, who is being rep, who's rep, really the image of, of Satan here, saw that he had been thrown down to the earth, okay, when Michael throws him down to the earth, he pursued the woman in that she is the image of, this is the Blessed Mother, who had borne the male child. But the woman was given the two wings of the great eagle that she might fly from the serpent into the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time and times and half. Okay. Um, then, I, mean, I skipped a part. Then the dragon was angry with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring on those who keep the commandments of God and bear testimony to Jesus. And he stood at the sand of the sea. So isn't it interesting that the beginning in Genesis, we have that account of the, the bad, of uh, basically now there's going to be enmity, war, between the woman and her offspring and Satan. And the book ends with this too. The Bible ends in Revelation with um, who's, who's um, he have, uh, against the woman he's going to have war against who her offspring which are who are the people us but basically people who believe because they keep the commandments and follow jesus okay so i just think you know we, we have this beautiful scripture that begins with this imagery and, and really the reality of marriage which is also by the way reminders in there of satan's going to be after us in that so 
I, I think what's fascinating is, again, when we think about the challenges of our vocations, we have to say part of the challenge is because there is a being, there are beings who want to destroy it. They want to destroy your marriage. They want to destroy your union. They want to destroy your image, that your, your, your idea that bringing forth new human life is a gift from God and a good, not a problem or a disease. Um, and, and I think the more we might approach our lives, our vocations, and especially marriage that way, the more we start to start to look at then what role do the sacraments, what role does Jesus, what role does, the bless, does our faith have in helping to protect and lead us away from the, the, the powers that want to destroy it? And I mean, this is, I, I, you know, so I had the oldest of six kids, um, four siblings got married. And I'll just tell you, just alone, I mean, like, I know marriage is hard enough, and I can look at my parents' marriage, my grandparents' marriages, everybody whose marriages I know, my siblings. But even just getting married is like rife with, like everybody hates everybody. The mother-in-laws are gonna kill. I've, had more, I've seen more people cry because of where they sat at the shower table. Shower table, we're not even talking like in the wedding. The, I mean, I don't, no offense, I don't know why you invite people to your wedding. <laughs> go, you go to the sacristy with the priest and just do it there and then do something later, like go to a bar with people and dance. I don't understand. Furthermore, I do not know why you have a happy couple on top of your cake. It should be a crucifix with bloody red icing coming down because you are going to be crucified in your marriage. You are to die to self. Okay, so we have, <laughs> sorry. That was the real upper, right? I know, really. No, that's just said by the nun who, does, you know, who just observes. Um, but really, when we think about what is going to be asked of you in marriage, really, it's, it's now because of the fall. It's now we have this, this beautiful um, reality of us being redeemed and how marriage is a redemption of that original fall. And, um, and, and, and your marriage is to be a redemption. I'm sorry, that's what I meant to say. And we, it's only possible to do that through Christ who died for his body, the church, for his bride, the church. There's a beautiful old medieval poem. It's called the um, the Dream of the of the Rood. Um, it's um, the Rood being the cross or a tree, and it's basically a, a poem about Christ's crucifixion. And there's a line in there that I remember hearing for the first time and and, and being shocked, kind of quite frankly. But it's Christ leapt onto the cross as a bridegroom leaps onto the marriage bed. <laughs> I know, and isn't that interesting? I know, especially in our you know we're like. Uh, and, um, but think about that. That's it. what we're talking about is the desire for the desire, the desire for the beloved and the willingness to do anything to sacrifice for that at last moment, for that, that moment of being able to be with the beloved and to do into, into, into give themselves to the beloved. And I think that image of Christ, you know, going joyfully to the cross, um, really is, is to re, for us to start to say, are the sufferings of our lives and, and our willingness to sacrifice for the other, is that actually more of a mystery of joy and happiness than we're willing to admit? And is it also something that we need to embrace as Christ embraced the cross 
in a way differently so that um, we can sort of take the pressure of the fact that, and, and the misery of it not going in this perfect way. Um, and I'm going to kind of bring us to an end sort of through that. I, 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 I say this um, hypocritically, okay, because I don't do it either. When I suffer, I'm angry. I don't usually go, this is a great opportunity to grow in holiness and to be like St. Clair and St. Francis. And those saints that pray for hardness, like when they pray for the crucifixion, they, when the saints that pray like to no suffering, I skip that part in their book. I do. I'm like, I, I cannot even relate. The problem is, though, like you, the times I've known tremendous suffering have actually been good for me. I don't want anyone else to know that, but they've actually helped me grow. And they've been actually, sometimes the pain has been so searing, it's kind of purified. And I've actually felt more real then than I ever felt in my life during those moments. And I say that with trepidation because I'm like, but they were nice then, please, we're good right now. But I think there's a part that of us that do need to, to um, come into an understanding of how do we incorporate our suffering in the trials of marriage and family um, and our own personal wounds and how do we start to look at them um, uh, towards holiness um, rather than things that are bad that are happening to us or things that we have to get out of or things that we have to destroy or people that we have to get rid of in order to limit to, so that we don't have to suffer anymore. Um, and I say that obviously within, I mean, you know, there's a little bit of caveat there, but um, so when we talk about then this, the, the fact of the fall and our and the reality of sin, we do also have the reality of the capacity to still grow in holiness. So when the church really looks then at the gifts of the sacraments, marriage is a sacrament. It is actually, which means it's that the grace comes through the sacrament, and I think you all know this, but just a reminder. Um, the grace particular to the sacrament of marriage comes from the couple, okay? When, when you get married, the priest is a witness and is blessing your marriage. But really, it's through your spousal yes, your giving to each other, your saying yes to each other and sacrificing that the grace flows. So they're really, which, which is really profound when you think about um, the, I mean, what a high, um, level of, of sacredness than the church really looks to the sacrament of marriage. Um, that it's, it's really this beautiful protection um, of the gift of giving yourselves to each other. And it's, so, it's so, such a mystery that you actually need grace from God to be able to do it. Um, and, and, you need the, and we need the sacraments. We need the Eucharist. We need confession. Um, we need the, the sacraments in order to give us the grace to say yes to what challenges do come in, into our daily lives. Um, the other thing I do want to say, um, just in, again in closing, a reminder that the fall, if you will, we know, you know we sort of have this image of the, the original man and woman, but we, we now have million, thousands, millions, hundreds of thousands of years of... Um, of humanity that has influenced in civilizations that influence the way we think about things. Okay, so we all live in this modern culture today. We live in a world right now, in a culture, in a nation right now that wants to eliminate um, differentiation in sex. Um, we want to kind of go into an asexual 
time, re, uh, the reality that gender doesn't matter. In fact, we're kind of in a stage now, I'm uh, up in Vermont, I had a conversation with somebody where gender is bad. Like even to say that there's different cells in a male and a female body offends people, okay? I mean, which again, you're, I, mean, I don't even go there because my brain just hurts too much with that idea. I'm like, really not my opinion. I'm pretty sure if you go to, if I go to a doctor, they're not gonna check my prostate. I just pretty sure that's not gonna happen. And hopefully they're not gonna, yeah, that's right, that's right. And, and you know, hopefully they're not, you know, gonna, I don't know, do a pap smear on you. So I'm just hoping that, you know, that's not gonna happen. But it's fascinating to talk to people who really wanna eliminate that and that, that our, our, our differences are, are a problem. Marriage, I think we know that right now. I mean, it's, it's dangerous. I mean, I, I wonder if someday we, I can give a talk about marriage like I just gave today. You know, in, in Canada, um, it, you're not allowed to talk about marriage as not being, as, you know, being an option for everybody, that it's not just between a man and a woman. So we really are in a culture that's not only um, attacking these, this be the beauty of our, of our creation and the beauty of these teachings, but we're in it too. And don't underestimate the fact that our own ideology, our own minds, our own feelings, our own relationships are also affected by it. Okay, everyone in this room has someone who has a family member who um, has same-sex attraction, okay? Every one of us in this room knows someone who has had an abortion. Everyone in this room knows someone who um, doesn't believe in marriage or doesn't want children or is against, you know, everyone in this room knows and loves people who don't, um, are, are choosing to live a way that is contrary to what I just presented. And don't underestimate the fact that that seeps into us too. That makes us wanna say, well then what does, I don't know, does this really matter? Because I, I know and love my cousin Susie and she seems okay and she doesn't live any of this and she doesn't agree with this. Like we, we it, it affects each one of us in this room. It's very easy. It's very easy for me to say, you know, for someone to ask me, what do you, I'm flying, you're going to give a talk, what are you gonna give a talk on? The Bible. It's much easier to say that than to say, well, on marriage, because I know what that means. I know that that's gonna be a long conversation and that person is probably not gonna to wanna to hear what I have to say. Um, so I, I think that we have, to not, we, have to under, we have to not underestimate that we are also um, gonna be challenged on, on our own way of approaching this, not only just our daily lives, but from our culture and our witness that we are called to and the strength your marriages need through prayer, through the sacraments, through support, through families um, that can support you, through couples that can support you, through the clergy, through religious. You need all the support you can because not only is Satan after you, but we really have a culture that's also gonna be attacking um, and family members. So I just think, don't underestimate the need. I'm glad you're here today because the need for days like this, the need for the, for the, for the opportunity to pray and the power of prayer and the need for protection in, in trying to live your vocation of marriage. Now, I know I went too long, shocking. Um, does anyone have a question? Or I'm gonna be here the rest of the day. If you have questions, we can talk at lunch, unless someone has a burning thing or wants to correct something I said, or argue. if you wanna argue, we can do it outside. Okay, thank you. This has been a production of the Office of Marriage and Family Life at the Archdiocese of Baltimore. To learn more, visit www.archbalt.org slash marriage.